I'm pretty sure we've only bought like a handful of lottery tickets. It's always been you and I've always been disappointed. <laughs> you were no different than B-Rabbit's friends just talking about, you know, something that's never going to happen, that's not real and just empty hollow talk and you needed a you needed a smackdown by Mr. Eminem. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where Marshall Mathers was in my life at that time, but clearly I needed him. Welcome to Pennies and Popcorn show about real money lessons from the world of TV and movies. With your hosts, Carla Cash and Robert Davidson, a couple of personal finance geeks and movie lovers. Welcome to today's episode of Pennies and Popcorn. We've got a throwback hit for you today, the 2002 uh, movie that burst onto the scene, 8 Mile. You may have seen Eminem recently in the Super Bowl with a halftime performance, having a little bit of a resurgence, performing his Academy Award winning hit, Lose Yourself, from the movie 8 Mile. It's such a great song, and I really enjoy the movie. We should note at the very outset here that this movie has a lot of really foul language, and we are going to be playing clips that include some of that foul language. So if you're not into curse words, we cuss on the show from time to time as well, but there's going to be like an extra amount of cussing today. Serious explicit language warning. Thank you, Carla. Very explicit language warning. This won't be your jam. But setting the language aside, I think this is such a fabulous movie. And it had been a really long time since I had seen it. I will confess that you and I have watched the rap battle, like (laughs) ending scenes on YouTube. Like... Off and on over the years, not terribly infrequently, because we we really like Eminem and the rap battles. The rap battles in those scenes are really epic. But we hadn't actually seen the whole movie in a long time, so it was super fun to sit down and watch it again. And there are some really great money lessons that I'm excited to dig into today. So it's gonna be fun. Carla, do you remember? We didn't know each other in 2002 when this came out. Do you remember when you first saw the movie? I do not. Well, I remember when I first saw the movie. So it was on opening night in November of 2002. Uh, It was a Friday night. My group of friends from college, I went to school at Texas A&M. We went to the theater and saw it on opening night. And to our surprise, the football team was there. (laughs) They had a big game the next day. And, you know, as, as is typical for college football teams, they kind of bring everybody together and do some sort of event the night before, make sure everybody's in at a reasonable time, that sort of thing. And their event that week, I guess, was going to the the eight mile showing, which was just amazing because the next day, Texas A&M did not have a great football team while I was a student at, at, at the university. However, the next day they had their biggest win the whole time I was there. They upset number one ranked Oklahoma at home on like a kind of gray, rainy day. And I like to think it was because of the you know exceptional entertainment they had the night before. You know, it really is such an inspiring movie. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways is like, dig deep, try hard, do your best, work hard. So it seems pretty awesome to me that the that the football team had that inspiration the night before and then like came out and had some absolutely amazing game, which I don't remember because I don't remember football because I don't like football. But yeah, just the fact that they went out there and like really dug deep and did their best. I'm going to give them and them a little credit for that. Yeah, Coach Fran didn't do very many great things while he was the Aggie coach, but we'll, we'll give him credit for letting that happen the night before the big game. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say Eminem gets more credit than Coach Fran. Anyway, so a couple of fun facts about this film. It did win 
the best song Oscar for the hit Lose Yourself. But I think this movie is one of the few examples of musicians turned actors who were able to do the transition really, really seamlessly and just completely knock it out of the park. Some musicians like Lady Gaga in A Star is Born, she really did the same thing. But this was so much more personal for Eminem. Like this is semi-autobiographical, the story of his life and how he came to fame. And he just did such an incredible job with it. It's so different from like Crossroads, the Britney Spears movie, where it was clearly just a musician making a cash grab at another you know, genre that they weren't really that well suited for. Yeah, at the height of fame going and, and putting something together in another market, hoping to make some success. Like, I think Mariah Carey did something similar. Yeah. You and I always joke about From Justin to Kelly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, this wasn't that. This is a real movie that it's semi-autobiographical. We shouldn't pretend that this is supposed to be a depiction of his actual life. However, you know, he had a rough upbringing and, and went through some struggles trying to make it. But yeah, this isn't some sort of junky, hastily thrown together production that really demonstrates that the the lead performer should stick to their their core craft. Yeah, he did an incredible job acting and rapping in the film, which I think as you were telling me, a lot of the raps that we see in the movie were improvised by him, like on the spot. Yeah, no, I mean, not a lot, a few of them. I think one of them in the parking lot surprised everybody. He wasn't supposed to actually be improvising in the moment or they were going to go film something afterwards where that was more of like a close-up on him. And he was just supposed to pantomime performing something. They were going to make it work in the studio. And instead, he just he just did it, uh, playing off the other performers that they had in the, in the show at the time, which is, which is not surprising. That's kind of how he got his start. He was... He's into that sort of thing. He's quite the improviser. You kind of have to be to be a successful hip-hop artist. So, Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you have to be. It's just really awesome when you are. Yeah. So it's nice to see him showing off those skills and just putting a lot of other folks to shame. Well, the movie was super successful. I think it did about $240 million at the box office. And then I read that in its first week of DVD sales, there was $75 million of DVD sales, which is just insane. That's so crazy in today's day and age where DVDs are kind of a relic of the past. Sure. But yeah, I mean, I can see why people would want to own that movie. It's definitely the kind of thing that you would want to watch over and over again, as evidenced by you and I watching YouTube rap battles over and over again. So yeah, there are parts of that movie that are extremely rewatchable. Yeah. Did you know that there were a few famous actors who were contemplated for playing some of the roles in the movie, but didn't actually end up being cast in the part, typically just because the money didn't work or for other reasons? Do tell. So Giovanni Ribisi was considered for the role of Wink, the guy who is trying to make all the moves and help Eminem uh, be Rabbit, you know, get where he's trying to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Gary Sinise was considered for the role of Greg, Eminem's mom's boyfriend. Oh, wow. Yeah, which, if you know the movie, you're just kind of like, I, you could probably see both of them in those roles. For sure. At the same time, I, I think they got it right. Giovanni Ribisi is really good at playing smarmy characters, and yeah. Link is pretty smarmy, so I can see that being a good fit. But I don't, I mean, maybe I'm just You don't projecting... think Lieutenant Dan could be the drunken, live-in boyfriend of Eminem's mom? I don't see it as much 
Yeah, because I feel like part of the punchline of the whole Greg character is that he's only a few years older than Eminem, whose mom he's dating. And Gary Sinise, I think, would have been a little bit older. So maybe I'm projecting my 2022 vision of Gary Sinise onto like 2002 Gary Sinise, but I feel like he would have been older than Michael Shannon, who actually played Greg. So my final fun fact, I just think this is awesome. One of the best lines, I think, in the Lose Yourself song is a reference to Mom's Spaghetti. And in 20, I think it was 2018, Eminem opened his own restaurant called Mom's Spaghetti, which serves exactly two items, spaghetti and something called a sketty sandwich, which is basically just a spaghetti sandwich. I'm not sure how I feel about that. That's basically carbs sandwiched between carbs. I can't picture that being a very pleasant chewing experience, but I don't know. Eminem is good at a lot of things. Maybe maybe he's got a hot take on the spaghetti sandwich that I just need to experience to, uh, to make a good call on. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the Detroit model of spaghetti looks like, but uh, are you sure that was Eminem's restaurant? I thought he just came and like served food at it at their grand opening and it was somebody else's restaurant, but he decided to capitalize on it that many years later? Yeah, I think it's a joint venture. He teamed up with somebody else to put the whole thing together, but it's supposed to be like very Eminem themed. Like on the menu, all of the E's are backwards, like in Eminem's you know, stylized version of his name. So yeah, he's definitely lent his whole persona to the restaurant and that's that's kind of their shtick. That's why people go there. So, but yeah, I don't think he shows up very often. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you haven't seen 8 Mile in the nearly 20, 20 years since it's been out or you've forgotten about it in the decades that have passed, a quick plot summary is basically Eminem plays the main character, B-Rabbit or Jimmy we we'll just call him B-Rabbit, or we'll probably just refer to him as Eminem here. Yeah. Uh, and he and his group of friends are trying to make it in the hip-hop world and in the world in general. Uh, they are kind of working for position with another group in the area, the free world, a, a group of other hip-hop artists who are trying to be successful at the same time, a little bit of a rival. Uh, anyway, Eminem and his boys, they aren't, aren't doing great, and they're just trying to figure out how to make it. Eminem is going through some some financial woes, and it's you know typical story of somebody trying to overcome obstacles to make it in their success. And the show just kind of takes you through all the different hurdles, small victories, small and large, you know, challenges that he faces before, you know, his eventual triumph at the end of the movie. Yeah, he does triumph in a very exciting way, which I'm sure is why it inspired the Texas A&M football team. Exactly. Exactly. So in the movie, Eminem at the very beginning was living with his girlfriend who told him she was pregnant and he ran off. Turns out she wasn't actually pregnant. He gave him her his he gave her his car. All kinds of weird drama that doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you step back and look at it. But nevertheless, he went and basically was homeless and forced to move in with his mom. His mom isn't exactly on the most stable financial ground either. And we learn pretty quickly in the movie that that she's going to be in trouble and may also be facing homelessness. We're being evicted. God damn it! Come on, mom. What's on, really? I can't let Greg find out about this. 
Greg. Okay. I'm three months late. We got 30 days to come up with the money. What do you mean, we? If you're gonna live here, you gotta start chipping in, Rabbit. When's Greg getting his settlement check? Get the money from him. No, no, I can't. He's gonna ask me and Lily to move away with him. Someplace nice real soon. I just can't, I, I can't freak Mom, him out. Mom, you gotta right stop now. living your life like this. If you really cared about Lily, you would get a job and quit fucking around. So, it's just crazy to me. A few, a few uh, scenes before this in the movie, we see Eminem, he's working at an automotive shop, a new Detroit stamping. And Greg and his mom are giving him shit about the fact that he's working at this dead-end, deadbeat job. When we learn that his mom basically isn't working, that she's three months behind on paying the rent, and that they're waiting on her boyfriend, who's also a deadbeat alcoholic who lives there and doesn't really seem to be contributing at all, to get some sort of settlement check from a car accident. What the hell are they doing making fun of him for working a real job and trying to get his life together? Yeah, I think that's a theme that plays through the whole movie is everyone seems to have a really low opinion of just honest, hard work, average blue collar jobs, which seems so backwards to me. And I don't know, there's just so much honor in the hard day's work. And usually the people in the film who are looking down on that are not doing any kind of work themselves. So I think anytime someone is looking down on another person for the type of work they do, it's always terrible, whether you're like a super high-end white-collar worker who's looking down on someone for that, or you're someone like Eminem's mom and her boyfriend who don't work at all and you're looking down on someone for that. It's just always so toxic to have that kind of attitude towards someone who's just trying to make an honest day's living. So Kim Basinger is the actress who plays Eminem's mom here, and she's three months late on the rent, but it doesn't seem like she's been doing anything about it at all. Like We also see her give a car to Eminem as an early birthday present just a yes. few days before this, yes. this scene takes place. Like If you can't afford the rent uh, for Why a trailer... Why are you buying a car? Yeah, well, I don't think she bought him a car. It's, I think she just gave him the keys to, to hers, effectively. But if you don't have any money and you are about to be homeless, it seems like you might not want to gift away some of the few assets that you have and ought to instead leverage those assets for a way to to keep things going. Yeah, I think she kind of was living in this fantasy world of thinking that Greg's quote-unquote settlement check, which we keep hearing about in the movie, was going to come through and things were really going to turn around for her. She also plays bingo pretty heavily. Well, hey, look, now I've play, I played a little bingo in my day, Carla. <laughs> I know you have. I've, I overlooked this in choosing to spend my life with you. Yeah, so... Uh, also, in the College Station area, there was a bingo hall that I went to a few times with some friends in college, mostly goofing around. And mm-hmm. it's a tragic experience, just like going to a casino where you see a bunch of regulars or people that you're pretty certain are there every week playing bingo. And we're going to spend a few dollars to have a little lighthearted entertainment. But I actually won bingo uh-huh. uh, one time when I was there. I won a few hundred bucks, had to split it with a couple of people who also declare bingo at the same time but you have those like brightly colored little daubers you know oh, yeah. marking off your card it's super, a lot of fun super fun stuff but if you're about to be evicted i wouldn't bank on going to bingo to to win your rent money I, it is gambling it's supposed to be a profitable business for the 
bingo hall. So. Mm-hmm. It is 100% gambling, and it is 100% not what you should be doing if you have zero disposable income and are three months behind on your rent. So yeah, Kim Basinger is making a really, really just terrible series of choices here, banking on luck kind of coming her way, when of course she has no real basis for actually thinking that anything real is going to happen to her. And this this settlement check that Greg is supposedly expecting, even if it comes through, it's not hers, right? They're not married. So she doesn't have like a real skyhook here that she can be hanging her hat on. She's just making really, really reckless choices. And she should have been looking for a job way sooner. Like we, we don't see her job hunting at all. And to find out that she's three months late on her rent, she should have been job hunting from the second we meet her in this movie. Yeah, I think that should have been a consistent theme. Like, hey, can you watch your little sister Lily now that you're going to be staying here so that I can go out and try to find a way to make some income and, you know, connect all the dots and keep our life together? Yeah. So the other part of this clip that's really fascinating is the dynamic between Kim Basinger and Greg. Yeah. Her first thought is I can't let my boyfriend find out about this. My live-in boyfriend, right? He's he's clearly living with her, right? Right. So honesty between two partners about finances, I think, is just so, so critical. Sometimes it's hard to be honest with your partner. Sometimes you've made decisions that weren't the best, but it's always so much better to come clean so everybody knows what the situation is. You can tackle the problem together. You can make choices together. And she is just completely ignoring any advice to that effect and just choosing to sweep her problems under the rug and hope that it will all go away. It's really not a good decision on her part. Yeah, I I guess she's banking on the long run with Greg's settlement really changing her life and doesn't want to have anything that could jeopardize that. But if if she actually expects to have a long-term productive relationship with him, maybe surprising him by actually getting evicted is not pathway to do that so true just a thought i just don't know how she expected to hide it from him either right like what what was her pathway other than winning bingo that would have allowed her to avoid that that situation well i mean he does find the eviction notice and he decides to split which you know shame on him for just bouncing for those conditions but also shame on her for not giving him any warning that this is the reality of what they're dealing with. Right. Yeah, they just needed so much more transparency and honesty about their situation. I also don't know what Greg thought was going on with her financially. I mean, he should have realized she wasn't working, right? He wasn't working. And so they were like, just spending all their leisure time together. Neither of them are going to a job. So where did he think her money was coming from? Like, I don't, it's just so many red flags and questions and they just needed to sit down and have an actual conversation with each other. That would help. So they keep talking about this settlement check coming for Greg. Mm -hmm. And if you have a structured settlement and you need cash now. Oh, I know. Pick me. I know who you should call. Carla, go ahead. J.G. Wentworth. 877 cash now. We all remember those commercials, right? I do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly what I was going down the path towards. Uh-huh. I cannot for the life of me remember how it started, but at some point when we were backpacking the Pacific Crest Trail, 
we just started singing the jingle for that like endlessly when we were hiking and hanging out in town with our trail friends and so that song holds a special place in my heart it reminds me of hiking california which is pretty great well it's a real business model people who um, have some form of money coming in in the future uh, and want access to it now go to people like jg wentworth to, to try to get access to, to what they believe is coming to them. Is this a smart thing for somebody to be doing? I would say potentially. I don't think it's always a terrible idea. So the JG Wentworth website does not actually tell you how much of a discount. No. Or effectively how much of a fee they will take in order to buy out your structured settlement or your annuity. Oh, they're not a nonprofit? <laughs> they are not a nonprofit. Huh. They are definitely making money off of buying your annuity or your structured settlement or even your pending settlement. So this is an interesting thing that I didn't realize. If you are, it sounds like the situation that Greg is in, if you're someone like him who maybe doesn't have a settlement completely done deal, you know, everyone's signed, a sum of money has been decided, you filed a lawsuit and you're expecting a settlement back. Mm-hmm. J.G. Wentworth will actually buy your, quote, expected settlement from you. They'll buy the rights to the settlement effectively? Correct, yeah, which is an even riskier thing to do um, from both parties' perspectives. So from J.G. Wentworth's perspective, they could end up with a $0 settlement, right? Nothing could end up coming of it. From your perspective, you have no idea how much your settlement is going to be. You're agreeing to give away either some fixed sum or some fixed percentage of it and you could end up with a much bigger settlement than you thought and then you're giving away some huge percentage of it just because you couldn't wait for the actual settlement to come through you need, you needed cash now as the commercial says right so you are you are effectively gambling when you take on a deal like that well it's not i mean it's not gambling it's more like an insurance right you're you're taking a worse, a known worse outcome on the whole so that someone else can pool some risk. Yeah. I mean, insurance is effectively a form of gambling. It's a socially acceptable and often smart way to gamble. But yeah, it is It is a little bit of a, it's taking on risk, right? Yeah. You know that you're going to get a worse individual outcome in general by taking a settlement from J.G. Wentworth or, or someone similar to that. That's why they're offering to give it to you so mm-hmm. that they can make some money on it on the on the risk because they can tolerate more of a swing than you can right and, and they can afford to do all the financial gymnastics to give you money now on a payment stream that's going to happen in the future that is guaranteed or whatever the nature of it is so right so what we've been talking about are like potential settlements if you have an actual settlement that is a done deal although gg wentworth does not publish the percentage of a cut that they take other websites do. So from what I have seen, you can expect it to be anywhere from eight to like a quarter. So 25%. I'm sure the factors that would weigh in there would be things like how big the settlement is going to be, how long of a payout period you're looking at, and just the general investment environment. So I think there's a lot of factors that probably go into how much of a cut J.G. Wentworth or a similar company is going to take. I think the most important thing to know if you are somebody who is in a situation 
where you are considering a payout like that is you've really got to sit down and crunch some numbers and also think about what you can do with the cash now that they give you because you could turn out to do better in the long run than J.G. Wentworth if you invest it wisely. If you need cash now, you're not getting that cash so that you can go invest it in some huge opportunity. You need cash now so that you're not homeless. I think that's the reality. That is a very good point. And I completely agree with that. I think the vast majority of folks who are going to a company like J.G. Wentworth are doing it because they want to buy they're a car in dire right straits. now, they're or they not... need to pay medical bills right now. Correct. They're they're not looking to invest. However, I think there are people who could potentially be in that situation who could actually kind of turn the tables and make it a better deal for for themselves if they are able to invest it in the long term. Sure, anything's possible. But if you have a structured settlement and you need cash now, I. I think you should probably hold off. You should see what other options you have before giving away such a share of whatever you expect to be getting in the future. It's unlikely to be a profitable venture for you. Right. And I mean, obviously, the fact that J.G. Wentworth does this indicates that it's a pretty good business model for the person who's making the, the payment as opposed to the person who's getting the payment, right? So I completely agree. I My other piece of advice on this would be to check with like several different companies before you pick one, like J.G. Wentworth. We all know them because they had that super catchy commercial. 877 cash now. Yeah, but before you pick up a phone and dial that phone number, you should like get on the internet and check with a bunch of different companies to see what kind of rates you can get because J.G. Wentworth probably doesn't have the best rate. Well, in the movie, Greg leaves. We never find out what happens with his settlement. It doesn't matter. Eminem's mom wins bingo, so she staves off uh, eviction for at least a little while. She probably should start to think about what she's going to do for the rent payment in the next few months after that because the problem isn't going away. Right. Uh, Meanwhile, Eminem and his buddies are trying to make it big, right? Eminem is an aspiring hip-hop artist who's working by day at uh, New Detroit Stamping. So one of the challenges when you're an artist trying to break onto the scene in any sort of taste-based occupation, whether it's writing or acting or music or painting, whatever it is, it's really hard to get there. And one of Eminem's friends, a character named Wink, is trying to make some moves on his behalf. And Eminem's best friend, Future, played by Mackay Pfeiffer, as referenced in the song Lose Yourself, kind of calls out Wink for some of his fakeness. Wink was just telling us how he got in with Roy DeRucher. This is hot, man. Why are you even listening to this clown? What? You heard me, clown. You know, man, I don't even know why you got to be all like that. I mean, this is a good deal for him, man. I mean, this shit is for real. It's for real? Like that time you said your cousin worked for Dr. Dre? Or or like that time you were real tight with that intern in Russell Simmons' office. (laughs) Or how about the time when... Shut the fuck up! Why are you always giving me shit, man? I mean, is it because I'm making moves? Or is it because your ass is stuck hosting battles for like two years? So, gotta be so painful to be wink and be called out for that sort of stuff. I'm Mm -hmm. sure he did that a little bit when he was younger, maybe back when he was in high school or something. But this is a real thing that people do. Oh, it's so pervasive, yeah. As you were pointing out, 
in any kind of industry where there's a lot of people who want to make it and there's only a few who can and do. There's a lot of luck involved. There's a lot about connections and there's no real guarantee as to which person really has quote unquote it and who doesn't. There will be vultures. You're going to have people who are looking to take advantage of other people's dreams. So for example, I know this comes up a lot in like the acting and modeling world. You'll have a quote talent scout who comes to you and says, hey, I'm, you know, a hotshot agent. I've got a lot of connections. I can make your dreams come true. All you've got to do is pay me like a few thousand dollars and I'll help you put together your portfolio, your book. I'll take photos for you and, you know, like get you in with all the right people. You're saying that money I spent wasn't actually worth it? Oh, sweetie. I don't think that it was. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, we've been lucky to never, well, neither of us have ever been approached by like a modeling agency. So true. But I mean, even for the people that it does happen to, it, I think it would be so hard to say no to, right? Because that's what you've dreamed about. You're wanting about. the attention. You're yeah. wanting someone to notice you. Yeah, like the dream. And I, I mean, it does actually happen for people with legitimate scouting agents you know, you hear stories about people being discovered, like, at the mall, you know, it's just these crazy things that happen. People see you and think you're just the most beautiful creature and I can turn you into the next Heidi Klum or whatever. But there are so many people out there who are not for real and who pretend to be the real deal just to get a little extra cash in their pockets. So I think it's something that if you are in an industry like that, you have to be extremely cautious of and really do your homework and vet people before you give them a dime. So I don't think Wink was charging any money, or at least it didn't seem like it. I assume he was going to get paid some sort of commission or share or be the agent or whatever when his friends became successful. But I think he was also a youngster who was making up some some lines to stay relevant with his friends and make sure they trusted him and stayed with him. But yeah, how do you how do you avoid the trap? Like, I mean, if you don't know Wink and and, and he approaches you, uh, or even if you do know Wink, how, how do you know if he's lying about actually having a relationship with Dr. Dre and and being able to get you an audience with somebody who matters? So I think the best thing you can do is ask around, find out if anybody else has heard of this person, get on Google, type in their name, look for the word scam <laughs> next to it, <laughs> see if anybody else has been writing about this person scamming them. Um, a huge red flag is always if anybody is asking you for money, like the money should always be flowing in your direction if you are the creator or you are the star or the artist, right? So anytime people are asking you to cough up money, this makes me think of um, these so-called vanity publishers where it's like, you can get published. All you have to do is be the one to pay for it. And so you're saying by just doing simple internet searches, we can maybe vet people who might be a real agent or someone who might be able to get you noticed by the, the, the few key decision makers in whatever area you're trying to make it in? I think it will go a really long way. So I know, for example, like in the writing world, I've seen this personally on writing and publishing subreddits. I know Reddit can be 
a very dangerous place, <laughs> but it also can be a really positive place where people come together and share ideas and help each other. And I've seen folks posting on Reddit saying, hey, I've been contacted by such and such publisher um, claiming XYZ. Anybody heard of these folks? Anybody know if this is a legit deal? And they'll get responses back from people who seem to be in the know and people who've had good experiences or bad experiences. So the internet is an enormously powerful tool. Use it. Reach out. Okay. I do feel bad for Wink in this clip, not because he really deserves sympathy. He was lying to people about his connections, but at the same time, he's struggling to make it to like the, becoming a successful talent scout, if that's your ambition, is probably not much easier than being a successful talent. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you've got to do exactly the same thing that the artists want to do, right? You've got to make the connections and find the right people and get in with the, the right people. So Yeah, you have to trust the the people who are the arbiters of taste that your taste is good enough to be worthy of their consideration. Yeah, exactly. So it's hard for, for both folks, and I do sympathize with Wink a little bit, but he should be honest. <laughs> yeah, honesty is always the best policy. Like, just tell people, look, I'm I'm working on it. I'm trying to make these connections, and maybe I can get you there. Just ride along with me. We'll try to do this together. B-Rabbit, he's trying to make it. Wink is trying to help him. But, you know, he's... He's struggling, right? He's, he's an aspiring hip-hop artist. He went to go do a rap battle at the shelter that Future was hosting, and he choked on stage and isn't doing so well. But that doesn't stop him and his friends from from dreaming about what might have been. Uh, one of B-Rabbit's friends, Cheddar Bob, who is just a one of the best characters in cinema, right? I, I, think, uh, <laughs> I think really there's a lot of thought put into him. No, he, he's just a, a total goober. He is ridiculous all the time and ends up shooting himself uh, in the midst of the kind of fighting that breaks out between Eminem's buddies. They call themselves 313 going up against the the other rival group, the free world. Cheddar Bob shoots himself and B-Rabbit and all of his buddies go see Cheddar Bob at his house who's hiding and doesn't want to answer the door. And as they're walking away from the door, they continue to all dream about what their life would be like if they end up hitting it big and being as successful as they all think they have the talent to be and as they all fully expect things to materialize. Tell you, if you ain't got insurance, the medical establishment will fuck you up. Dog, we signed us a deal. You can take the motherfucking benefits. We talking Bentleys and Benjamins, not Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Yeah, I just want to hit three and a third on the box, you know what I'm saying? One of them strong songs on TLB. What we need to do is save that shit up, put it into some savings bonds. Every week, stack it, build our own studio. Savings bonds? Let me ask you a question, dog. How the fuck are we brothers? We need fine bitches and fat rides. I know goddamn savings bonds. Man, that's yeah. all we ever do, man, is talk shit. We need to get fine bitches and fat rides. No, what we need to do is put our money in savings bonds. No, what we need to do is get our songs on JLB. Man, shut the fuck up. All of us never do shit about nothing. We're still broke as fuck and live at home with our moms. Ooh, that's tough. <laughs> Eminem dropping some truth bombs. Yeah. So the clip does start with him talking about insurance and the challenges of Cheddar Bob, who shot himself, and the likely financial ramifications. I think they were surprised he was out of the hospital already. And we could do several shows about the state of the American medical insurance yeah. program and, and how that really works and, and what 
what the challenges are for everyday people, especially people like Cheddar Bob. But I think it's more fun to stick to the, the primary hip hop themes of the movie. <laughs> so you're siding with a guy who's saying we should focus on the fat rides and the bitches. Yeah, give me the, the Bentleys. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Can I just do a quick disclaimer here that we are very aware of all the female hate that is going on in this film and in this clip in particular. And we're sorry about it. <laughs> we do not agree with it or condone it. It is not cool. This is your idea to do this movie. <laughs> it's a great movie. It just, you know, has some slightly anti-feminist undertones throughout. So Maybe a little bit. I feel like maybe, it's good to acknowledge maybe it. Maybe just a little bit. Yeah. So one of the things I think is interesting, these guys, it's like they want to become a musical group together, right? And one of them has this idea that they should be taking the money that they will eventually make and set it aside towards things like that are responsible, things like insurance or uh, it sounded like he wanted them to get their own studio so they wouldn't be under the thumb of some big production company and they could actually control what they put out and, and their artistry. Yeah. Whereas the other guy uh, is, is, as you said, talking about Bentleys and, and the ladies and trying to go spend their money on living it up now, kind of short-term versus long-term thinking between these two friends. You know, how could we be brothers? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just kind of interesting contrast between the two. So I am very much inclined to agree with the guy who's talking about putting money into a savings bond, although savings bonds in general are not a super great investment. I would, I mean, it depends on what your time horizon is, right? If you're going for the short term, bonds are generally a safer bet. If you're going for a longer term, I would definitely advise people to be investing more into stocks. But yeah, I'm definitely inclined to agree more with the guy who is advocating like a cautious savings approach as opposed to the guy who wants to focus on Bentleys and bitches, as he puts it. I think nights out on the town are surely the best way to make your money last. Mm -hmm. Don't be silly. It's a really good strategy. So yeah, I think that he is right. I also think it is really important that they talk about things like this. If they even have dreams of going into business together, these are the kinds of things that you need to know about each other, right? You need to know who's going to be campaigning for what kind of style of spending and saving and investing. So I applaud them for having this discourse. And at the same time, I think Eminem is completely right that if all you're doing is having the discourse, if all you're doing is talking about what you would do if you had some success, you're never going to actually get there, right? All this jawing is for nothing if you never actually sit down, do the work, and churn out some really good material. Yes. Friends, anyone thinking about going into business together, you should have real discussions. And, you know, we can say what they're doing is kind of a real discussion. At the same time, it's a bit of hyperbole, I'm sure, and it's a bit unrealistic. But yeah, you should all make sure you're on the same page. So in theory, what they're doing is great. But yeah, Eminem shutting them down and saying, let's get real with this. We live with our moms. Yeah. No, this is going to happen. What are we doing? Yeah, um, it's action over words, right? That's Eminem's whole point here. And I think it's such a great one. Like talk is important. Talk is great. Talk is a prelude to action. But ultimately, you got to have the damn action or nobody's getting anywhere. Yeah, I think a lot of people who have dreams that are really hard to reach, right? Becoming 
a celebrity is a dream that is hard to fulfill. Mm -hmm. If you're George Costanza and you want to be an architect, there's probably a pathway for you to do that. If you are B-Rabbit and you want to be a famous hip-hop artist, there's only a handful of those. So it's a lot harder to get there. If you want to be a professional athlete or something that is your odds of success are quite low, yeah, you should talk about it a lot less and actually take concrete steps to get there because it's really, really hard. And I, I think we shouldn't take away people's right to dream. I think it's fun for people to, to do it. It's why you and I have occasionally played the lottery every once in a while. It creates for some fun entertainment to think about, oh, what would I do with hundreds of millions of dollars that we spent $4 on a couple of tickets for? But, you know, lots of people use this as an escape from the tragedy of their real circumstances. Yeah, I should note, I'm pretty sure we've only bought like a handful of lottery tickets. It's always been you and I've always been disappointed. <laughs> I think it was when I was at a job that I didn't thoroughly love. And it was like everyone in the office was talking about it. It had gotten up into the hundreds of millions of dollars. And it was just like joining in on the fun, you know, it cost like $8 to be part of the fun. So not a good choice. No one should ever play the lottery. You were no different than B-Rabbit's friends just talking about, you know, something that's never going to happen, that's not real, and just empty hollow talk, and you needed a you needed a smackdown by Mr. Eminem. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where Marshall Mathers was in my life at that time, but clearly I needed him. I do think it's showing some, you know, maturing of his character. In the movie, he seems to be advancing a little bit and recognizing that this isn't as easy as he thought he he choked on stage previously he really needed to to get his act together if he wanted to go do the things that he thought he had something special to offer it, it's not easy to get there there's all kinds of incredible talents that don't make it because they didn't put in the work or they didn't have luck fall the right way for them it's real so you got to put in the work actions are going to do Actions are what's going to get you there. Stepping back and thinking about it and dreaming are are fun in the beginning, but you, you got to move past that at some point. We always talk about how few people actually have success in industries like acting and music. And it's true. There's so much luck involved, even if you have a lot of talent and even if you do put in every inch of the work that's required. But I also think a lot of that mentality of like, oh, you'll never make it in that business is an offshoot of that mentality. Like people internalize that it's going to be really hard. They internalize that they probably shouldn't, you know, put the skin in the game and actually take the risks. And so many people who kind of like halfway dream of something or talk about something for years but never actually do it, that's a big part of that whole pool of people who, quote, never made it in the industry, right? So I think... If you are someone who really wants to make it in an industry that's in that vein of being kind of creative and really tough to break into, just try, you know, like have a day job. Don't be homeless. Don't let yourself starve, but really put in the time and the effort and grind away and give it a shot because it does happen for people. Well, as Eminem matures in the movie, you know, as B-Rabbit advances, he does make it and decide to to go do another rap battle at the shelter that Future hosts. 
And it turns out he's successful, right? The big climax of the movie is he this, crushes it. the huge rap battle against all of the guys in the free world where he goes head to head with Papa Doc. AKA who, Clarence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and Clarence had put a gun in his face uh, just the day before. So, you know, it's kind of a big deal to go bow up against this guy. They they aren't exactly homies. They're, they're you know, rival artists in the way that hip-hop artists have been rivals in a very dangerous way at many times in history yeah so uh, he wins uh, b rabbit wins the rap battle which is great it's exciting it's a lot of fun we've watched the clips numerous times over the years um and after they all exit the stage you know after everybody finishes cheering uh be rabbit and cheddar bob and future and all of his friends gather around outside to talk about what's next yo where we headed rabbit yo we on our way dog we gonna get that big deal soon and then we gonna get all the bitches all the bitches all the bitches where we going i'm going back to work work get the fuck out of here you ain't going to work yeah you the man now dog you ain't gotta work Look, man, I've been thinking. You and me should host the battles together. You know what I'm saying? Nah. That's you, dog. Come on. Tell me you don't want to host with me. I mean, you have everybody looking up to you. Everybody know who you are. Yeah, but... I think I kind of need to just do my own thing, man. I love that the guy who was saying that they need to get savings bonds was the one who was also saying, you're the man now. You don't have to work anymore. Yeah, apparently his grasp of financial security is not as strong as we were led to believe in that first clip. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. what? can you remind me what Eminem wins by winning the rap battle? It was the top prize was how, how many thousands of dollars? Um, 0. 0.000. So, so he was playing for no money. Correct. He was playing for respect. Okay. Yeah, that that's not going to help his mom not get evicted. Yeah, he clearly needed to go back to work. So before we get into to that, first question is, so there is no prize money on the line, right? And ultimately, his odds of like getting a record deal out of these rap battles that he's doing at this local warehouse is kind of what it's represented to be, are probably not that great. So... Is he just wasting his time doing these rap battles, do you think? I don't think so. So he's an artist. He is a writer. He's a performer. And these rap battles are an opportunity for him to really refine and hone his craft. Right? Like if you want to be the best on stage, you got to find some time to get on stage. He choked the first time he was there in the movie mm -hmm. and, and really couldn't perform in front of a large crowd. Every time he gets the opportunity to go put his wits under pressure, whether it's rap battling at the shelter, whether it's in the parking lot before going to the club, whether it is on break with the lunch crew, standing up for some people who are being heckled by somebody else in some sort of rap battle circle. All of those things, I think, are productive exercise, right? You're flexing the muscles, you're... You're hearing the words of other talents, other people. You get to see what works and what doesn't. You get to try your hand in front of a big crowd and become familiar with what it takes to deliver and, and be at your best under those conditions. 
who cares if you're winning money or not? You need the opportunity to practice and to perform. And I think, yeah, like the the opportunity to do that is huge. It's, it shouldn't be the only thing you're going to do. But yeah, I, I think it's no different than, than someone who's a, a painter going around and looking at beautiful things and sketching a bunch of stuff, right? I, I think there's, yeah, they're, they're not going to make any money from doing that, but they're going to get better. I totally, totally agree. I think his doing these rap battles was such an important part of his growth. And anybody who's in an industry where you have to perform in front of people, you have to perform in front of people to get better at that skill. So I think he's doing exactly what he should be doing, uh, which is just putting himself out there and taking the risk and, you know, choking sometimes. It's just like stand-up comics, right? I think all stand-up comics talk about how bombing is some of the best feedback that they get and some of the best experience that helps build them and shape them as comics. So yeah, I think you just have to put in the effort to get out there on stage, even when there's $0 on the line. You just need that experience when you're starting from the very beginning like that. That's that's what it takes. So I think he's really making the right call. I also would note that in real life, doing rap battles just like this is what got Eminem discovered. So um, there was something called the Rap Olympics. This is a real thing that happened in 1997, and they've happened off and on since then, uh, where Eminem uh, went. He was up against a lot of different rappers. He made it to the final round. He was up against this guy called Otherwise, who, best I can tell, never actually made it in the rap world. Um, but Eminem came in second, and he was just completely devastated because there was actually money on the line for this event. It was $1,500, which back in 1997 was a princely sum, especially for someone like Eminem, who was really struggling. I read that it was $500 in a Rolex. I think that was for earlier versions of the Rap Olympics. Gotcha. Okay. So the year he was doing it, it was for $1,500. He didn't win, so he's going home basically empty-handed, and he is furious about it. And he's like making his way through the crowd to get back home and just, you know, angry, frustrated. And this kid stops him, and it turns out to be an intern at a record label. Uh, somebody who ultimately worked for Dr. Dre, and he said, hey, I really liked your stuff. Do you have a demo? And Eminem, like, angrily kind of throws at him the CD that he had put together a while back. Wasn't it the Slim Shady EP? Yeah. And so this kid takes it back to his work. Ultimately, it ends up in the hands of Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre calls up Eminem and is like, hey, you sound like a pretty, pretty cool kid. I would really like to work with you. And the rest is basically history. You know, he really took off from there. So to say that these kinds of things were not a waste of his time is a dramatic understatement. I think they were really, really valuable. So if the rap battles are valuable due to the exposure that you might actually get, do we think B-Rabbit made the right call not taking Mackay Pfeiffer's offer of co-hosting the rap battles with him? I really feel like he did make the right call because one, hosting is very different than actually performing yourself, right? We don't see Makai Pfeiffer actually rapping that much in the shelter. So if he wanted to continue honing his craft and keep working on his skills as a rapper, 
I think he was making the right call to go focus on that. Yeah, I totally agree. There's no, everyone has their own path to what they want to do. And if just because someone who you're close with has a similar path and is offering you, you know, a leg up or, or, or the opportunity to do something that maybe diverges from what you want, doesn't mean you should take it. Yeah, it's almost like this dangling temptation, right? Like you could have an improvement in your life situation by taking this kind of like easier way to become the rap battle host. As Mackay Pfeiffer's talking about, everyone's going to know who you are. You're going to get respect in this community. But Eminem has bigger dreams, right? That's that's what he's chasing is something much wider than just the local Detroit scene. And I just feel like it is such a power move when he's like, guys, I'm going back to work. Like, I'm going to focus on getting my financial situation straight, saving up money for studio time. You know, I want to do this on my own two feet and put in the hours to make it as a rapper. I love the way that this movie portrays him going back to work, like literally going back to the plant where he's getting metal stamped for car parts. I think there are a lot of movies or stories out there where we celebrate someone who had some sort of some sort of tragedy or, you know, close brush with triumph, but they just barely missed it and came in second place or something like that. And we go celebrate them going back to the lab and working really hard and, and trying to get, you know, better at their craft. And that's what we're celebrating. And instead, Eminem's taking a very realistic of, approach of going back to work for just real work so that he can have the, the basics of his life covered, which is a necessity for getting where he ultimately wants to go. I, I love that that's the work we're celebrating. Yeah, well, I think it's really kind of a celebration of both kinds of work, right? Because we know that he's going back to that factory because ultimately he's chasing a bigger dream. But he's come to the realization that, like, there's a line in the movie about, you know, I'm coming to the realization that I got to stop living up here and start living down here. Like, I've got to live in reality and not just think about what I want to happen, but what actually is happening and how to go about changing it. And he did that. I mean, he just completely transformed his life with just his incredible wordplay skills. Do you think it was when his drunken mom yelled at him, what are you doing that's so great with your life, Rabbit? I mean, I think stuff like that can be really motivating to people. Yeah, it was a terrible thing for his mom to say. What an awful thing to have your your own mother say to you. But I'm sure those kinds of things were fuel to his fire and just got him you know, fired up and ready to go, which I think is the ultimate takeaway from this movie is get fired up and chase your dreams, which I think is why it's so cool that the A&M football team won after watching that movie. That's such a cool story because it does get you fired up to just want to chase your dreams. It's a really inspiring story. Well, it's too bad that Eminem's dreams were not to become a major actor. I think this took a whole lot out of him. He was in basically every scene of the movie, working 16-hour days on the film schedule, having to write the music that was part of the soundtrack, and all of his other responsibilities as someone who runs a production company. I think he was helping 50 Cent get off the ground at this time. Like There was a lot that he was in the middle of in the making of this movie, and I think his response when asked about how he felt about doing this was something like never again. He's had little cameos and very small parts and stuff since then, but I don't think we'll see him do a feature film anytime soon. Well, if you're going to be a one and done kind of person, you should make it as good as 8 Mile because he really did a great job with this film. Definitely better than Crossroads. 
Yeah. Sorry, Brittany. <laughs> oh, Brittany. We really enjoyed the movie. It was fun to watch it again in preparation for the show. You should go check it out. It's been 20 years since it came out. And uh, go go lose yourself watching 8 Mile. It was a fun time. Yeah, get inspired. Go chase those dreams, guys. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Take care.